Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by Sleep Me. When we are working with some teams, I got a couple teams working over at Cal Berkeley. And one of the things we're starting to see is everyone is working very hard. In fact, I think the old days where you're like, I outworked the competition. That's not happening. <laughs> it's, that's horse crap. It's impossible. Everyone's working as hard. And the difference now, I think... It's who, all on the margins, the fringes. That's right. But who can manage the adaptation stress the best? So everyone's working this hard, but how you adapt to that level of stress is not the same. So if you can eat slightly better, if you can downregulate faster, and guess what turns out to continually be the number one performance advancer on the planet? Let me guess. Is it sleep? What? What? Yeah. So one of the things that we see for the adult populations we're working with is that they are people are working really hard and they don't realize that they can have better skin, they can be have changed their body composition, you can be more present with your family in the yeah. evening. You can have more clarity at the office. All it turns out is you need to do is just improve the density and sleep quality. And one of the best ways in our lives to do that is to change and adjust the thermal temperature. Is that a redundant? The temperature, thermal regulation of your bed. I can't tell you what a performance advantage this is. Such a true fact. If you want to get this performance advantage for yourself, head over to sleep.me slash TRS to learn more and save off the purchase of any new Cube, Uller, or Doc Pro sleep system. There's an offer available exclusively for the Ready State podcast listeners and only for a limited time. That's sleep.me slash TRS to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. The only thing I'd add, though, honestly, if you're competing with me, don't get one. On this episode of the Ready State podcast, we are thrilled to bring you what I'm sure is the highest ranking supple leopard we've ever had in our orbit. That is a true fact. We're bringing to you Lieutenant General Michael Ferder. He is a retired Army general. He is the founding president and CEO of the National Veterans Memorial Museum. Of course, he's a speaker. He is a leader. He's been on TEDx stages. He speaks with C-suites and high executives. He's been around for a minute, and his story about what he's trying to do right now is really impressive. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I was so taken by is learning more about the Veterans Memorial and Museum and actually being pretty shocked to learn that it's only four years old. And two of those four years were pandemic years, obviously. So it's kind of amazing to me that this museum hasn't existed for 100 years. I am lucky enough to have found his sons. That's actually how I got to know the general. He has a pretty exceptional family. One of the things that I really liked is that in his service career, he was actually the person who led all of the U.S. Army installations around the world, over 75 installations. So imagine having a 75,000-person workforce and managing a $12 billion budget. He has been in Iraq. He has been in Somalia. He's worked in all around the world. And one of the things that I was taken, because we had become friends before he took on leadership of the the Veterans Museum, was that he wasn't just becoming a CEO of a museum. He immediately turned that into service of veterans and their families. You know, they're not just a memorial and museum. They no. are doing a ton of other cool things and programs that you'll learn about when you listen to this podcast. You know, I think the other thing that's so cool about General Ferreter is, you know, just that he has really dedicated his life to serving veterans 
and their families and Gold Star families and, you know, you name it, he really is the real deal in terms of his work trying to support that community. General Ferder has been a good friend of ours. You're seeing that as you listen, there's another wonderful human being here. Bonus guest. That's uh, Jennifer Balu, who uh, is also tasked with outreach and leadership at the Veterans Museum. So yeah, we get a two the, for one here. Yeah, she's the chief of staff and it was a bonus to have her join us. And, you know, it was wonderful to hear her backstory and have her give some context for the work they're doing there. And it was a really fun and cool and unique conversation. Please enjoy our conversation with Jennifer Ballou and Lieutenant General Michael Farrader. Hey, Ready State listeners. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. General Farrader, welcome to the Ready State podcast. Thank you. It's great to be with you. And we are joined by another guest. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. We're glad to have you both. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you so much for having us. There's a lot to unpack. You two are rock stars in your field. Where are you currently speaking to us from? And tell us what your current job title, occupation, calling. How did we end up on this call together? To begin with, we end up on this call together because of the awesome work that, that you've done with our military units over the years to include my son, Patty, and the way that you touch lives, the way both you touch lives. And it's really special. I'm coming to you today from Columbus, Ohio, where the National Veterans Memorial Museum is. Today is our fourth birthday, fourth anniversary. We opened on the 27th of October in uh, 2018. And what a ride it's been. Oh, congratulations. congratulations. The, this National Veterans Memorial Museum tells the stories of all veterans from all times. It has uh, uh, an amazing alcoves, 14 alcoves of the journey and steps that everyone takes from a nation call to taking the oath of office and leaving home and going to basic training and joining a unit and combat ops. And these uh, compelling alcoves have videos in each one and uh, where some 25 veterans tell their story. We also have the timeline that goes from 1775 through today and tells of the amazing uh, accomplishments of, of our nation and the person that made a difference. And they're not generals, and they're not presidents, it's petty officers and the like. So I took the job here in part because it's a chance for us to give back and to tell these great stories. But also I saw it immediately as a platform to impact lives. And I, we can describe that as we go forward. I'll pause and let the Deputy Chief of Staff of the National Veterans Memorial Museum, Jennifer Ballou. Thank you so much, sir. Yeah, good morning once again. My name is Jennifer Ballou. I have been the Deputy Chief of Staff at the National Veterans Memorial Museum for about a month, and I could not be more honored to be part of a team that is doing so much for so many, like General Farrader said. It's really an opportunity to give back on such a large scale. My primary efforts are really to synchronize everything that the staff has going on, um, which I'm sure we'll get into moving forward. Another one of my primary responsibilities is to um, help stand up our wellness and resilience program, which we're really excited about as well. So before we uh, press play on this podcast today, one or both of you mentioned that the National Veterans Museum is obviously a museum, but it's much more than a museum. Could you tell us what other programs you're working on and how you have your hands in other important ventures? We knew that one of the big things that occurs when a military member 
depart service, it's like jumping out of an airplane without your parachute. So you feel like you're free falling. You're trying to find yourself. You don't have a squad to take care of anymore. You don't have a mission directly related. You land somewhere and nobody kind of speaks your language. And so we put together programs to help connect veterans to each other, to the communities across the nation. And so we started with Rally Point as a program. And in military terms, when you get uh, hit in combat, you go back to the rally point if you need to reorganize and continue the mission. So even by way of the vernacular, the language, it tells people that this is a good place to be. And then we ask, are you living in a car? Do you have employment? Is your life straight? Can we help you? Then we have uh, programs like Veteran Voices and Inspiring Stories of Service. Again, because when we talk about comfort farms where a ranger buddy started a farm.org to teach others, and he named it after his tune leader who was killed in Afghanistan, Kyle Comfort. People say, you know, wow, I had a similar experience. And then we've opened a Vetropreneur store. So these young guys and girls are up on an OP and say, you know, if we get out of this stuff alive, you know, lead slinger whiskey or warfighter tobacco or black rifle coffee or the Veteran Golfers Association, Dog Leg Reaper Belt. And my wife, Margie, says, let me get this straight. Whiskey, tobacco, golf. And I said, yeah. (laughs) We call those standard issue basics. (laughs) Yeah. But it's really that the case where if you can make a difference in someone's life, then let's do it. Right. And a lot of times these young former soldiers, Marines, airmen go to a big box store and they say, you're not big enough for us yet. And so we go and help them. And now we're we're starting veteran concierge, which is helping employment, find employment and connecting veterans to employers and employers to veterans. And then a, a new signature program is our wellness and resiliency program. And Jennifer, I'd ask you to say a word or two on that. Yes, sir. So our wellness and resilience program, like General Farader said, is sort of our newest effort, if you will. It started with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Coincidentally, our president and CEO is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and so it just sort of felt like a natural first step. But it's so awesome to see that it started with just offering a class once a week. And, you know, people started coming and then slowly the demand came for two times a week and three times a week. And now we're offering classes five days a week. And we have both veterans and civilians that come to the class, which is in line with one of our pillars, connecting veterans to civilians and civilians to veterans to kind of help break down that military civilian divide. So it started with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And as it began to grow, we felt like it was a natural next step to offer something else, which is yoga. I am currently teaching yoga classes one day a week on Sundays. Same thing. It's free. I don't think I mentioned it. All of our classes with the Wellness and Resilience Program are free to anybody who wants to participate. But same thing. It's open to anybody who wants to come. And we do other things like CrossFit workouts, 5K runs, things that really get the body moving and invite people to participate in healthy activities. But at the same time, we're connecting and creating relationships, which, as you know, is super powerful. Next week, we open up our newest traveling exhibit. It's called Identity, and it's from a group in Nashville 
called CreativeVets. And so other wellness and resiliency programs can be songwriting, art, sculpture, and the like. And so when we field an exhibit like that, then we'll do four workshops in the time that it's here. So again, we bring folks here, they get to deal with the real artists and the instructors and get connected to others who are interested in this. So you don't have to just be a broad-shouldered, burly guy that wants to work out hard, but our veterans are not monolithic and they're multi-generational. And so we find a way to appeal to them. And most of all, they told they tell us, Kelly and Julia, that one guy told me uh, this past weekend, I don't care if you ever teach me jujitsu. I just want to be connected to these guys. These are just the guys I want to be with. That's our key. And of course, we're fighting depression and alcohol and suicide. And through women empowerment programs, we're fighting and bullying, fully proof. You know, we're finding a way to impact the community. And then we span to all of the Alliance Academies and all of the Gracie Academies and Gracie Baja. So when someone moves around the country, they can come back to us and know a credible place to go connect and work out when they're visiting that town or if they've moved to that town. Why do you think, General, jiu-jitsu spoke to you so much? You know, if I recall, and this is a secondhand story, so please correct me, that even when you are deployed, you are working towards your black belt. Is that correct? It is correct. I know why you remember, because I had a really bad rotator cuff and, and Patty talked to you and uh, you sent me these exercises that fixed me in about two weeks. But yeah, so that the idea of any of these focused efforts, be they sport or art or music or whatever, is that the person gets into the moment and everything else has to you know, go by the wayside. And then it gives you goals to set and to go after. And so not wanting to take a year long hiatus and, you know, catch back up. It was almost like, you know, bring the machine guns, protect the wall, you know, establish the sentries and security, roll the mats out, you know, everywhere we went. And, and uh, but it's also when you're deployed to places like Iraq and Afghanistan that have really good dining facilities and really good gyms, they say you either leave weighing 300 pounds or bench pressing 300 pounds. It's those healthy activities that we also brought to bear, uh, whether deployed or whether back at home station. So we've been throwing around the word resilience and you guys are um, running what you call a resilience program, but maybe just for our listeners, could one or both of you sort of explain what that actually is and- How do you you quantify that? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, I would say resilience is bouncing back from whatever it is that you're experiencing. It it could be, you know, a really significant life-changing event, but it could be you got pulled over on your way to work and got a, and got a speeding ticket. I mean, some sort of adversity that happens in your life, how you bounce back is really what resilience is all about. Yeah, I would just add that, you know, when we think about the days of our youth and, and uh what we consider to be endurance or you know muscular endurance muscular strength cardiovascular it's once taken to a limit what's the time span to get back to recovery and able to repeat and the same is the case with health mental health interpersonal relationships is when you have that spike how much do you need to react how do you train yourself how to react and then how do you train yourself to to be recovered in the thought of driving on with uh, what's important rather than overly focusing on the fact that something didn't go perfect. One of the things that we run into 
clearly in our work with the military, is when people leave that military experience, there is a vacuum. And it, people are going to self-soothe in any way they can. They're looking for community. We also see the same thing happen in the Olympics with our Olympic athletes. We see the same thing happen in, even in collegiate athletics where people literally finish the team, high-level universities that everyone loves and adores, and they're kicked out and they're no longer given access to the training facilities. And they've just, like a piece of chattel, has just moved on. The military has been around for as long as there have been humans, probably. And I think about the Peter Jackson documentary about World War I when those English soldiers came back and still felt like they were not understood and their experience wasn't understood. It seems like the military community has dealt with this the most often for the longest. Why is it that we haven't been able to take those lessons from the military and really try to solve some of these issues around finding community, transition, we seem to have to reinvent the wheel every generation. Am I wrong on that? I think it's very accurate. We work with like a fellow by the name of Nate Boyer and Jay Glazer from Fox Sports, and they started uh, merging veterans with players. And so backstory was that he was a special forces sergeant and completed time of service, went to the University of Texas, walked onto the football field, Became a long snapper, never played high school football, by the way. Made the team, played a couple of years there, was drafted by uh, the Seahawks, stayed with them for a little while, and then was cut. So to your story, he realized, oh, my God, I felt lost when I left service, but then I found the football team, and then I found the Seahawks, and then I got cut, and I feel lost again. He has 10 of these chapters, and we're going to start one here. Basically, they do some form of functional fitness. They might do glove work and stuff like that. They might roll doing grappling. But then they sit and connect and talk to each other about their life and make sure everyone's okay. So to our audience, go ahead and start one, right? To our audience today, if you're disconnected, you know, move out and find some. Start at a gym. Start at Team Red, White, and Blue Runs. And I find a chapter. And then from there, go ahead and evolve. This is Mike Ferrer's message to you. Go ahead and evolve and evolve towards the thing that you look forward to every single morning or every night or every day or every week. And that's how we can help these people. There's also, we're working, it'll be December or rally point in December. There's a guy who was an NFL coach. He's mostly a uh, assistant coach. And he started a thing, veterans to coaches. And uh, I don't have the... Uh, exact name of it but the idea there is it all echelons from eighth grade to junior high high school and college we're putting veterans and their natural leadership in and they will be the seeds that uh, are planted to be able to tell everyone you know your days of playing will end in fact the other ferreter you know patty my son dan his coach dan's team was number six in the nation for under 18 soccer and he pulled us all in and said, this is the last year your kids are going to have fun in sports. And when they go to college, they may play, they may go after it. And then suddenly you hear the coach recruiting someone for their position and they're just a sophomore. And then they realize, I still check my phone to see if the Yankees are going to call. I don't think they have my number. I know someone, sir. We'll remedy yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. But that, to your point, I think we can do something about that. We can take it on and then reach out and, and let them know that. It's part of the education of the college experience or the more elite athlete experience that it's going to pass. And so love every second of it 
and then know that all that you learn that during that and how to be the best that you could be is how you can apply it to your communities. Military is a big institution, and it is difficult to make top-down changes in a system that is as old as the country, older than the country. You both are veterans, and now you're civilians, and I'll put that in quotation marks. Do you feel like you're able to be more nimble? You're able to be more agile and taking a different crack at these problems from this side of the fence? Has that given you a unique perspective? Obviously, you have personal experience with trauma and loss and trying to solve the complicated problems within the system. Yet from the other side, my only experience is sometimes I get to come in as a unattached person. I can see things that people can't see and I can say things and work in ways to support the mission because the institution itself is difficult. How has that been in your own experience going to this other side, working back towards the center of where you left? Yeah, I mean, that's such a great question. And I think what I'm initially thinking about is until you go through that transition from a service member to a veteran, no matter how long you served, you just can't really appreciate what that transition is like. And of course, everyone is different until you've gone through it. And so it absolutely gives me a different perspective and allows me to think about things differently on how to help our veteran population as well as their families after having been through that transition. Yeah, and I think um, most organizations and certainly the military has pockets of organizations, units that are innovative and creative and their entire culture revolves around that, not the larger entity. And so from the outside, working your way in, you're able to be the great encourager and say, yes, you can, you can do that. You know, and they're like, oh, we got to get approval. Okay, well, let's go get approval. I mean, try starting the entire Army Combatants Program. Yeah, right. And they say, you can't do that. It's not in the manual. Okay, we'll rewrite the manual. Well, you got to have your own facility. Okay, I'll trade some two crates of MREs for the book warehouse. And uh well, you got to have mats. So, you know, we all but did a donut sale to get enough money to, to buy used mats. Well, you have to have master trainers. Okay. So rejecting rejection becomes really important if you want to create change. And from the outside, the relationships that we have with those who are underneath us and looked up to us and hoped that we would always do the right thing for them and for the organization, we pass that on proudly to the next generation. But we can reach back pretty directly and say, it really make a lot of sense to improve the telecommunications so the spouses who live in the homes can have in-home businesses. And here's a way to make that change. And there, you just got to keep working it because no one likes change but a, a baby with a wet diaper, right? I just wanted to sort of switch gears a little bit because also in our early conversation, General, you talked about, I think you said largely running all the army bases on earth. But I would love it for our listeners because I think they would enjoy knowing what a day in the life or what the life of a general is actually like, because for most of us civilians, that is a complete mystery. I mean, I think people that um, haven't met a general. Yeah, they haven't met a general. It's They've like, never it's talked like to a general. holding an Olympic medal, yeah, meeting a general. Yeah, you see a general on TV. So, you know, I know that's a really basic question, given all the amazing things you do. But tell and us I what have, that actually I have means. a Mike Farader general challenge coin, and it means I never buy a drink ever. Just put it that way. <laughs> As long as you have it on you. That's right. Yeah. 
Well, first of all, I had a guy named Sergeant McIntosh work for me over in Baghdad. And he, one day he said, sir, I had no idea generals did all this work. <laughs> I said, Sergeant Mac, what did you think? And he said, well, I thought you just kind of threw your boot up on his desk and, you know, threw a you know, bayonet against the wall for a couple hours and then read magazines. So most of the time, the general officers uh, have achieved that rank because they've been in troop units and they've been with the men and women there and you learn as you go. So if I were anywhere I was at six o'clock, we're all up and we're running PT because the troops are running PT and you're going to be with the troops and, you know, for them to see that you uh, endure and share the hardships that they do, you do the hard work, they do the hard work, thus respect comes. And then you probably have a series of meetings. And I like to say that leadership is who you are and management are the people, process, and tools to help run things. Like you said, Lisa's going to take care of this tape. But the who you are becomes highly important. And if you lose sight of that, then the what you do is going to be off track. So then what you do is you figure, where can I go to impact that no one else underneath me can go to impact? So how can I help them get their mission done? So some call it servant leadership. I call it leadership because we're all in this together, you know, and uh, whether it's a barbering fight or, you know, a, a firefight, everyone should be working this together. So I try to, and then I also tried each day to say who on my team needs to hear from me, needs to hear a thank you or needs to hear, I know you're working hard. We would just craft, you know, the day and then everyone wants to go to the mats or everyone wants to go to a, a squad live fire or everyone wants to go where the fun is and generals have to learn senior leaders strategic leaders have to learn stay in touch go where you still have the fingertip feel of what it is to be in this case a soldier and what's important to them but also don't hang around where you're not making an impact and certainly don't be the best squad leader again let the squad leader be the best squad leader let the platoon sergeant be the best platoon sergeant and you go be the best general that's generally it i think you end up at different award ceremonies or and stuff where you can more formally recognize and thank people. I think you're building readiness and you're building morale every second of the day. Never walk past a private if you're a general. Stop and speak with them so that when they're a granddad and grandson says, Do you ever see a general? Like you said, you ever see a general? Yeah, and he stopped and he talked to me, then it was pretty awesome. Hey guys, we just want to take a little break in this podcast episode to actually tell you about one of our own products, and that's our Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Yeah, the app literally is the first place you should go if you're trying to feel better, if you're trying to solve an old movement-related problem, if you're just trying to not be as sore from your workout. There is so much going on in this app. We have a mobility test that is comprehensive and designed by Kelly Starrett himself. It's pretty good. So you can figure out what your biggest limitations are and start to work on that. There are sports-specific mobilizations if you want to try to lift more or Fact. run faster. There is a pain area. And we even have a ton of bonus content. You can do challenges around squat and ankle and a bunch of other specific body parts so you can just generally get more okay, supple so you're and killing awesome. It. You should talk about this app more often. <laughs> We started the original mobility project back in 2010, trying to help people solve problems for themselves. We think that every human being should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. And we want you to be able to engage in some self-care in a really re reasonable, responsible way. 
one of our favorite parts of it, daily mobility. You have a 10, 20, or 30-minute follow-along with me. If you just have a ball and a roller, think you want to feel better, move better, play along. I mean, we really feel like that's the base camp practice, and you can add in what you need. We're really proud of this and what we've created here, and we think you should give it a try. Back. Head on over to the readystate.com slash trial and use code POD20 for 20% off your first month. And just FYI, including your two-week free trial, that's literally six weeks for $11.99. You can't beat that. There's so much amazing content to help you feel better and move better for $11.99. In the words of our uh, podcast producer, bananas. That's amazing. I think of just the logistics of the army, you know, that we're not just thinking tactics, but just moving things around, having people be fed, just those issues. How has that, I mean, you really were the ultimate CEO. I mean, that really is. There's a group of CEOs that runs this small business. It's called the army. <laughs> Do people appreciate some of that training and leadership because you mentioned earlier just the transition into entrepreneurship, but there's so much leadership logistics around running an organization. I mean, clearly you are the right fit for this, your, your kind of current post, but where do you feel like you've had to pick up soft skills or other skills to blend in sort of what you're currently doing from, or maybe you haven't, maybe this, you had such excellent training running you know, being a CEO of the army, was there some pieces in your own education that you had to pick up on? Yeah, there's definitely, you know, it's a profession, you know, museums and culturals are a profession. And so there are professionals and there's a professional language. So figuring out what are exhibits and, you know, what fundraising is all about, you know, kind of going to school all the while hiring people who are expert at it and then trusting them to teach you. And so then I go back to being, a second lieutenant and saying, this is the weapon system. I, you know, Hey, Sergeant, I don't know how to use this. Teach me. And with that kind of, that kind of attitude, like if I don't know, teach me, I don't know how to do jujitsu. I was a basketball player. Teach me. We were afraid of wrestlers. They wrapped us in the mats and they hung us upside down in the showers and stuff. So being humble enough to say, I know what I do know and I know how I can lead. Now I just need to know what are the, the key parts of running this business which is, and then how do I take this business, the museum and the events that we do here, and then create the impact through special programs that cause us to be the Starship Enterprise or something, and then use that to launch out nationwide to connect with people who want to help, you know, make it happen for someone up there. Did you always know that the museum would have this second aspect? Was that part of the intention, or is that something that you feel like you saw a need for and, and a solution to sort of some of the current problems for veterans? You know, I left the Army in 2014, came out of that experience of running all the Army bases. So all 75 cities, everybody who's listening, 75 cities in 17 time zones and 123,000 employees and a $12 billion a year budget to include programs like Wounded Warrior, Battalions, our Dear Families of the Fallen and soldier transition. So Morgan and I looked from 2014 to 2018, we stayed unencumbered on purpose. We did not go to Washington, DC. We went to Washington State and we didn't wanna be working for one of the big defense contractors. And I'm this old, I'm this rank, I therefore fall in at this pay grade and do these kind of things. We thought we'd get out there and help veterans who are transitioning. Then we found out veterans had transitioned 
So it means small business owners and the like. And then we found out that there are so many charities or dot orgs that wanted to help. All of that was kind of formulating. And, you know, I interviewed to be secretary of the VA. I interviewed to be the president of the Citadel. I interviewed to be the uh, CEO of World Water Project. I was 0 for 3. <laughs> I said to Margaret, whoa. And, uh, but actually, I think, you know, we always say, you know, that the Lord's your assignment officer. So there was something. So when I got here and saw this and they said, what do you think about the National Veterans Memorial Museum? I said, it's awesome, but it's insufficient to our need. And they said, what do you mean? And that's to answer your question directly. We need to be able to reach vets homes in Tampa and Tacoma and San Diego and Bangor, Maine. We need to have field trips that reach Chicago, and Detroit and Atlanta. So we'll go virtual on those things. I said this three years before COVID and we've done it all. We need to have veteran store. We need to have wellness programs. We need to have uh, leader certification at Ohio State University where they get 12 hours of master's credit. I saw it come in and I told him, I'm not a museum guy. I'm not a historian. I'm an army ranger, paratrooper, and team builder. So if you don't mind going big in these areas, I don't mind being called the CEO of a museum. That's where we started. That was May 18th, 2018, in the interview. And uh, and so it's been clear to me how to move this forward and then to re- get the awesome right people like Jennifer here in another 43 and say, that's where we're going. Let's go. And they fall in line. They get after it. It's amazing in four years. It's amazing what you all have done in just four years time. I was going to mention, like, just going back to the topic of resilience, I think it's so valuable what General Ferder just shared about the positions that he interviewed for and didn't get and just kind of kept at it. You know, I think there might be this perception out there that a leader at his level, things are just handed to him or, you know, everything just works out exactly how, you know, he might want. And he's a perfect example of like, just keep moving forward, keep moving forward. And eventually the best thing possible happened, but he didn't give up and that's key. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really amazing to hear. And I think you're right. It could just be easy to think he's like, well, he's a general, you know, whatever job he wants, he gets. (laughs) So I wanted to ask both of you, but maybe Jennifer, you in particular about Gold Star Families. We actually have a woman who works for us and is a dear friend of ours who is a Gold Star family. So we're very familiar with what that means and what is going on there. But I actually am not sure everybody does. So if you're willing, Jennifer, to share your story and talk to us about the Gold Star family program and you know anything you can share about that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity. So for the listeners, a Gold Star family is a family who lost their service member while he or she was serving. And that could be that they were killed in combat, but it could also be that they died during a training accident, or maybe they had some sort of, you know, health issue that caused them to pass away while serving, but they died while serving. My story is I was married to another service member, Staff Sergeant Eduardo Laredo, and he was an infantryman serving in Afghanistan on his fourth combat deployment, nearing the end of that deployment. 
during that time, I deployed to Afghanistan as well. My job in the Army, I was a dental assistant. And at that time, I was the first sergeant, like the senior enlisted leader for the only airborne dental company in the Army. So that was pretty cool. And we were super excited and pumped up to be the first dental company to deploy to Afghanistan. So there was going to be a short period of time where we were both there and our children were back home with family. Unfortunately, Eddie was killed in action on June 24th. 2010. And as you can probably imagine, my life and our children's lives changed immediately. And so sort of this path that I thought I was on and certain things that were super important, honestly became not so much anymore. And I really started to evaluate maybe what was more important at this time. So things like going back to Afghanistan with my company was a really hard decision to make. I didn't go back because my children needed me now more than ever. But sort of in a similar theme, if you will, of what we've been talking about with you just keep moving forward, whether it's just a half a step or, you know, maybe a little bit more, just continuing to move forward each and every day and allowing the people that were around me to help me has led me to where I am today. And I couldn't be more grateful. And tell me about the work that the Gold Star program does sort of more broadly speaking. And and also, how can people get involved and support? Because I think it's an amazing program. Right. So in the Army, we have survivor outreach services. And basically what that is, as at most installations, there is a team of people who are there to help Gold Star families through, you know, whenever they become a Gold Star family for forever with any and everything that they might need. So like initially, there's a lot of paperwork and just big life decisions that need to be made. They're there for that. But they're also there for other things, just to provide support and create a community during a time that maybe you weren't really expecting. There's also uh, several veteran service organizations, if you will, that are not associated necessarily with the Army or other services that are there to help Gold Star families as well in many different ways. There's organizations that help children of the fallen, you know, by providing education scholarships to, you know, help them go to school and send them on meaningful trips. My son, Eddie, for example, he goes to tutoring every week. And that was funded by a scholarship that he received. So there's a lot of different people and organizations that are out there supporting Gold Star families. Thank you. I put in the chat. Thank you. A couple of, of them. So, oh, perfect. Helping us with our programming is good. Helping Tragedy Assistance for Survivors or TAPS. Bonnie Carroll cares for about 80,000 family members as she lost her husband in a helicopter crash years ago and, and stood up this amazing organization. Folds of Honor also takes care of. So, there are a lot out there, and uh, these ones there are, are legit. That's for sure. Great. We'll put links to those in the show notes so people can find those. The military isn't just responsible for the health of its service members. It also owns the health and education of all of that family that supports and goes along with that. How are we doing 
at this? Now that maybe you have one degree of freedom removed, are we getting better at this as an organization, as a country? I mean, you have, I'm sure that if I asked my grandfather talking about resilience and, and durability, those weren't even words that were part of his deployment in Vietnam you know, and, and the end of Korea. I'm sure that that was not even part of his language and lexicon. So things are changing. Are we trending in the right direction in actual people are in service and under that direct care? Are we getting there? Yeah, I think so. So we like to call it the 20-year war. And during the 20-year war, we adjusted many things. We had a ready and resilience program that Lieutenant General Patty Horahoe, our Surgeon General, and I ran for the Army. And I was the taste great guy and she was the Medicaid woman. And uh, we would joke about it, but some people need uh, the medicine and some people need mental health specialists access to them. And so we pushed mental health specialists down to what's called the brigade level, down to the troop level. So the stigma of, hey, I just, I need to work through this, that they don't suffer in silence or afraid that they won't get promoted. That's a huge step and a great credit to Patty, General Horaho, and Army Medical Command. In the meantime, I was the advocate for intramurals and date night and 5K runs and, and live fire training and everything that allowed everyone to thrive because I think, likewise, going dormant at a time when you need to feel those endorphins again and you need to have that camaraderie and you need to have the, the sense of competing or even the great sense of, of winning or giving your all. I was that advocate. So overall, culturally, that's the case. I think in terms of unit, you know, resiliency, reps, and all of that, we lost our way for a little while. And uh, probably in the, you know, 28 to 20, I don't know, 14 time period where we just got to this back-to-back deployment, you know, quit worrying about that. The breaks, we'll buy a new one. If the soldier breaks, we'll get a new one. I think um, the third thing is, Many of our senior NCOs and senior officers right now, they didn't live in that army where building the amazing morale and culture was the most important thing. I think many of them lived in a very transactional army. And so they have to now be willing, like they'll have to do when they leave, to figure out how do I best make an impact given the multiples that, first of all, it's post-war, certainly it's millennials and gen whatever, and their value proposition is a little different. But you know what? I have never seen a group of people who cannot be led. I do not accept it. Your grandfather would have said that I was the most marshmallow cream puff young officer he ever saw because only back when he went through was it really hard. Just like my nephews and my sons say, Dad, these guys are just not hard. Yes, they are. This is America. Shout out, Colonel Jack. (laughs) One of the things that I am very fortunate about in my job and our jobs here is that we get to go see everyone's dirty laundry from every branch of the government, literally, all the branches of the military, all these different sports and organizations. One of the things I see oftentimes is there's not a lot of interbranch communication. And sometimes there is, and I end up at places where we're seeing units combine and, you know, the army is coming in with, or the air force is coming in with the, you know, the Navy and likewise, do you feel like there's a certain branch, you know, you're coming, obviously have done a really good job and, you know, your experience here of really leading from the army side, but do you feel like there's a, another branch of the service that has, is getting it more right? And 
is able to communicate that they're getting more right? Or is, are these really siloed until you get to, you know, the general staff where you have all the different generals, you know, at the same table? Yeah, I think that in the great 80s and 90s, there was a lot of discussion about transformations, right? And uh, they would talk about, we're going to go from this weapon system to that. And someday we'll have drones that shoot rockets. And, and uh, some people said, you know, we can have satellites up in the sky with these 20 foot long spears and shoot it through the heart of someone standing in the Kremlin. And they talked about these transformations. And I always felt that the largest transformation is taking a high schooler and making them a soldier or a sailor or an airman or a marine. Because what that young person is, and then they go like that, raise their hand and repeat, and who they are two years later, here's two points. One, that's amazing. That is just flat out amazing. And then number two, two years later, that person is training the new high schooler, private sailor. And so I think that's the enduring goodness without regard to the service. And then our bread and butter is uh, in some cases, in the Army and the Marines are bread and butter's people. And the Air Force and the Navy, their bread and butter are platforms. And so there tends to be that kind of middle ground of be more technical than uh, than being, you know, who or Ubra. So, uh, General, keeping in mind what we just talked about, and and that is that we all think that we're much harder than the generation behind us. Um, but I will say I have read in multiple places data about how high school age kids or young kids mm. are decidedly, physically anyway, often less ready than prior generations. And, you know, is that true? President Kennedy's physical fitness challenge the presidential fitness challenge was to get people fit enough to actually be deployed, if I understand that correctly. Yeah. And so, you know, and I will also say that the World Health Organization just this week published their first ever report on physical activity. And it's obviously the results are in and it's not good um, on a worldwide level. I'm just wondering, and again, appreciating you guys are both in a civilian capacity now, but, you know, what do you see? Is there truth to that? Has the military or the army in particular had to sort of change the way they train up kids from the beginning. Just tell us a little bit about what you're seeing there. Yeah, it's very true. And then if I were there in charge, I'd say, so what? You know, the standard has not changed. The conditions are different. Therefore, the methodology needs to change. And if you bring in, so the young women get a lot of lower extremity props. Their knees are weak. Their structure is weak. And and so if you start them, you know, full speed, you're going to break them. And uh, we had a lot of physical therapists from Auburn come over to Fort Benning and kind of get us to understand that in, in 2009, 2010, when I commanded Fort Benning. If I were the king, I would say there's a welcome period. You know, like, oh, we're going to lose six months. Well, we're only going to lose it once because once you get the assembly line, line running, then the perk chart works just perfectly well, right? But if they've been eating crappy food and they don't know anything about rest, and they don't know anything about mobility. You know, I, I mentioned, I know you laughed, but we were talking, I was playing golf with my friend, Bernie Champeau. And I said, you know, when we were Rangers captains, the first two miles was the warm up. It, was, it wasn't any warm up, it was just go. And uh, so these youngsters don't know that. And so they need to be led for a period of time that scientifically will tell us that the bone's gonna harden, the, the uh, supporting structure's gonna grow their strength is going to grow, then you can start them in order to get them ready to join a unit. 
I think there's a lot of bean counters that say, you know, the cost of that is extreme. They count every day of training. And you want to add six months? So, no, I want to bring America's best. And then also there's a little bit of a requirement to inculcate the values of this organization to a country, to the youth of a country that don't play sports as much as us, that move to the middle of a field so they can connect with everybody. You know, they go sit in the middle of a football field and then they connect and those kind of things. So I, th- I don't think you can do the same thing. And in 79, when I came in, we ran in combat. boots. There weren't running shoes. Forrest Gump hadn't arrived yet. And, you know, there were no like flats and Mount Pius and runs and Universal Oregon. It hadn't happened yet. And so we thudded along with uh, those solid boots. And then suddenly everyone's like, if you run in tennis shoes, you're running combat. You'll, you'll turn your back and be a scared cat. And it didn't happen. <laughs> that is remarkable. You know, it, it's so interesting looking at, we'll just say the challenges and opportunities to take care of people who are in, in service and around service. And it really is just a microcosm for society. It's the same sets of problems. How do we have better snacks at the mess halls? How do we, you know, have people go to bed and not be on tech? How do we, but on one hand, because you're in the army or you're, you know, you're in service, you don't really have a choice. You sort of, there are some parameters around some, you know, the constrained environment considerations there. Sometimes I wonder if we could do a better job of taking some of those lessons about connection, about leadership, about learning. You know, I, I grew up in and around an army base in Germany and was a Boy Scout. We talked about those values a lot as a kid and just saw it a lot. And I think that, you know, some of that just transferred over to me, you know, with parents who are in the military, et cetera. I didn't have to think about it because I I was of the system. And sometimes I feel like we could do a, a better job of showing people not just the hardships, but that there is a lot here around running a society that we could transfer back over. Do you feel like you're able to explain that aspect of the mission a little bit when we're talking about veterans? Because veterans certainly are, you know, one of the things I'm rambling on here, but we love to hire working mothers, for example, because they are organized, they get stuff done. I mean, they'll, you know, they'll just, they sort it out. I mean, except for Lisa, you work three jobs. But the idea here is I feel like veterans are very much an untapped, highly trained group. And people don't realize we have this resource available to us as a society and maybe a way where we could really transform society. I'm going to ask Jennifer to respond. We, we're starting veteran concierge service. And as a part of that, we help companies with their veteran resource groups, veteran employee resource groups. And we've run a summit on that, but that's the nugget that you're talking about. Go ahead, Jennifer. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. My colleague, Marnie Holder, is leading our effort at the National Veterans Memorial and Museum with our Veteran Concierge Program. And so similar to we're a storytelling museum, our Veteran Concierge Program is really about telling the stories of veterans and how valuable they can be to organizations, as well as sharing and highlighting organizations who are really focused on hiring veterans and what success stories are coming out of that so that others can learn from those stories. Yeah. And so the VERGs, they're like what you just said about working moms, you know, they, they're hardwired to make a difference. And so they can pull together things in the community to talk with youth about 
you know, about selfless service, about finding goals and objectives bigger than you, about being a member of a team. And so that that's the untapped veteran capacity. And all you have to say is to a company, we tell a company, do you have a VERG? Not yet. Or the one I was visiting with yesterday, Worthington is pulling theirs together and then give them purpose. Say, okay, you know, adopt a high school, you know, run a summer camp, have the kids come in and talk to these guys who run the, uh, these assembly lines and talk about discipline and being on time and hard work and those kind of things. I think there's something there. As we near the end of our time together, this is a question for both of you, but what are you looking forward to both with respect to the museum and otherwise? And also tell us a little bit about how people can get involved in the museum if they're interested, both visiting, donating, you name it. Okay. I am currently most excited about our wellness and resilience program. Like we mentioned, it's really new and there's just so much potential. The response has been amazing from both veterans and civilians. And so just continuing to layer on those different activities and opportunities um, for people to explore and experience, because maybe jujitsu isn't for everybody. It's not. Maybe yoga isn't for everyone, but just providing opportunities for people to explore and figure out what it is that allows them to feel that sense of connection and and start to be well, if you will. Did you want to share your perspective, sir? Sure. So first of all, nationalvmm.org and uh, nationalvmm.org. So join as a member. So it's $35 to join as a member. We are the National Veterans Memorial Museum, the one and only, signed in by Congress, signed by the president. We get not a dime of federal money, not a dime of state money, not a dime of county or city money. So it's all my team raising and uh, going through philanthropy. So join, join in the name of your grandfather and uh, what you can do. And then take a look at our programs. And if you're interested in supporting one, be it wellness or be, be it the entrepreneur store or leader certification, if you have a high school or degree, a GED or a associate's degree, you can't use the, the GI Bill. You got to use it for master's program that that uh, we're running for leader certification. So we scholarship it for because I said, we're not going to keep our enlisted from getting to this course because the Ohio State University is so hoity-toity, you know, high speed. So we convinced them to allow to break the glass seal, right? Otherwise, you, the social structure never changes. And then go online and check us out at nationalvmm.org and sign up for the virtual program, sign up for the the 5K runs and 10K runs and be a part. If, if you have a, a company and you want to hire veterans, come to us and we'll help connect you to veterans and veterans uh, to your great company. We'd love to have you. And Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. And you can actually go visit in person. <laughs> Well, thank you both so much. Uh, it is such a pleasure to sit down with you, hear what you're working on, hear this incredible organization. And I remember talking to you, sir, about when you were in line for this, it was just starting to roll. And I wanted to warn the powers that be that they had no idea what was coming. That like, I was like, oh, you think you're hiring a CEO for a museum that's cute? Because uh, that is not even close to where this thing is going. <laughs> it's been four years, and a lot of that was under the you know yeah. auspice of the pandemic. 
you really haven't even had a chance to stretch your leg and see what this thing can do. That's right. Um, I would add also, we did not close. You know, we did not put a single person in a in an unemployment. I just said, go to 2028 and pull back here to 2020 and start these podcasts and virtual events. And when we come out of it, everyone else will be the little train that could, and we're going to be the bullet train just flying by. And that's who we are. I love it. Yeah. Congratulations, both of you. It's amazing, amazing work you're doing. Is the organization on social media? Yes. We have Facebook, Twitter, and, and Instagram as well. And uh, just Google uh, National Veterans Memorial and Museum. It is awesome. I mean, our, there's so many stories. Yesterday was National Deployment Day. And so there's so many stories of that you could stay hours in a virtual museum wherever you are just by going to the stories. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you both so much. All right, we're going to come see you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You've got-